Well, good morning, everyone. Is this thing on? Great. I can't see the colors on it. I'm colorblind, and they're like green and orange, and one is not on, and one is on. And I hope it's on. So, that's great. So, well, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127 this morning, and we will be looking at two Psalms, Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. And uh, over the past week or so, we've all been kind of watching the Olympics and, and seeing various things and how your teams are doing or various events that you like or don't like. Um, and we've seen things. And this past week, I've heard a couple of words spoken by the competitors. Um, some have been, uh, I've worked hard over the past four years and I've built on what I've accomplished so far. Or other words would be, I just knew I needed to believe in myself, and I had the faith that I could win this thing. Others have been, um, you know, I'm just blessed. I'm blessed to have uh, these abilities. So as we come to look at the psalm this morning, won't you stand with me as we read God's Word together? I'll read for us from Psalm 127. It says, A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Won't you pray with me? Before I pray, um, won't you pray for me as I share the word of the Lord with you, that I would be faithful. Um, Pray also for your heart um, to be receptive to God's truth. Uh, Maybe also pray for the person next to you, that God by His Spirit would work in their hearts as well this morning. Father, as the book of James instructs us in the first chapter, may we in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? So as you look at this first psalm that we're going to look at this morning, it kind of seems a bit odd to talk about architecture and then to talk about childbearing. It's not like you're talking about apples and oranges. It's sort of you're talking about apples and golf balls or something. It's tennis balls, whatever. Okay, so some people have said that this is a psalm that kind of is two poems that somebody has put together. But as we look, I trust that you'll see that they actually do fit together in one psalm as God intended. So we have this guy, Solomon, the author of the psalm. We have it in the title, Psalm of Solomon. Uh, Also, we know that it was him uh, in the book of the Song of Solomon. He often refers to himself as beloved, and we have that right in there, beloved or the loved ones of God. Plus, we also know that Solomon was the one who oversaw the building of the temple, and he's talking about that, unless the Lord builds his house, or unless the Lord builds the house. So as these people, the Israelites, are journeying towards Jerusalem, they would sing, as David showed us, Um, They're ascending to look at probably the most brilliant architectural structure of that time, the temple 
of the Lord at the top of the hill. And rich people and poor people alike would have probably had their jaws drop as they looked at this marvelous structure. And Solomon writes this psalm and he wants to remind these people in the psalm that apart from God, this temple that they are looking at is just a bunch of material put on top of each other. Okay? He wants to remind them, don't think Solomon is great. Don't think the people are great who built that temple. He is saying that unless the Lord builds it, it was all done in vain. Now, in some ways, I'm glad that Orchard Community Church building is not the grandest building. Um, I somehow doubt many of you drove in the driveway and stopped and went, Wow! Amazing! And pulled in. You know, we didn't do that, and that's a, that's a great thing. But sometimes we tend to maybe think of structural things with that. Man, you know, here at Orchard, we have the best programs. We have the greatest events. We have the most handsome senior pastor in all of Rochester. Okay? We think that. And we can add to it a lot of different things. Oh, come to Archer. We've got X. All right? But the psalmist reminds us here, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Programs will come and go. The structure may change, hopefully for the good. It will change. But even pastors and elders come and go. And Orchard is 160 years old, and maybe one or two of you are around back then, but not many of us. All right? These things change, but I trust that the Lord will always build His house. Otherwise, we might as well just pack up and off we go, back in our cars and go home. So the first point this morning that we have is is that it's pointless. It's pointless. It says there that unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. So in our own lives, our creating, building, and our conserving, our protecting. It will be pointless if the Lord does not build it in our lives. Our labor will be vain. Our guarding will be in vain. This labor here is what leads to weariness. It's, it's, a, it's kind of when you pour your whole self into something that is futile, and then you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror of your life and you go, I'm tired, and what was all of that for? That's the kind of pointless vanity that the psalmist is talking about. And whatever we may labor in in our lives, whether it be your vocation, your family, your friendships, church, unless the Lord builds or unless the Lord watches, it is done in vain. Charles Spurgeon, he was a preacher in the 1800s. He was called the Prince of Preachers in London. He says this, he says, Trowel and hammer, woodsaw and plane are instruments of vanity unless the Lord be the master builder. Now note here that Solomon in the psalm, he's not saying that the builder must not labor, or that the watchman mustn't stand guard, he's saying that they should not put their trust in those things. Okay, And some people tend to say, oh, well, if I'm going to trust the Lord, then I must do nothing. That's also what is not said here. Uh, Paul rebuked the people in the New Testament. They said, hey, you know, Jesus is coming back. I'm just going to sit back and relax. And Paul said, no, get busy with the work of the kingdom. So Solomon says, build and watch. But trust in the Lord. There was a man, Oliver Cromwell, uh, during the invasion of Ireland. He has said these famous words that reflect this psalm. He says, 
Trust in God, men, and keep your powder dry. That's what he said. And this is what is echoed here. The psalmist supposes that we will do all that we can do. But he warns us about fixing our trust in what we have done. Okay? And he assures the people that are reading this psalm that their creature effort will ultimately be in vain unless the sovereign creator places his hands on that work and makes them effective. We can work like a beaver, it says, and we can endeavor to protect our stuff, our work, our reputation, our identity, but unless the Lord does it, it is pointless. This is what the psalmist is saying. David, uh, Solomon's dad, wanted to build the temple. God didn't want him to build the temple. He didn't. Saul wanted to establish his kingdom forever. God didn't. It didn't happen. The people who built the Tower of Babel, they wanted a name for themselves. God didn't. It didn't happen unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches. So even if you build and watch in your life, um, in the life of your family with diligence and vigilance, you must trust in the Lord. In Corinthians, Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 7, he says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So not only is it pointless without the Lord, you will also be restless. Verse 2, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. If you are in Christ this morning, if you have trusted Him as your Savior, you are God's beloved this morning. You are loved by God and He promises to grant you sleep. Maybe some of you this morning um, are struggling to overcome worry. Um, Maybe you're worried at work. Worried that you don't have work, worried over health, maybe worried over your children, both younger children or older children. And this morning, uh, the psalmist encourages you that the Lord offers rest, especially to my sisters in Christ this morning. The way that God has made you and your disposition to those things that you care about, especially in your families, that we can, you can be given to worry. And the Lord is offering to you this morning rest, that to trust in Him. Cast all your cares on the Lord, for He will sustain you, Psalm says. So we work hard, we watch, we protect, but we trust in the Lord. And there's a couple parents here this morning, and I'm one of them. I want to encourage you to continue to sow those gospel seeds in the lives of your children. Um, There's a parable that Jesus tells, not the parable of the sower, but another parable of the farmer who goes out and he sows the seeds. And he goes to sleep. And Jesus encourages them and says, You sow the seed, but go to sleep. Rest in what the Lord chooses to do in their lives. Our family is a gift from the Lord. It is. I'm blessed to have a lovely family. And our parenting and my parenting and aspirations must be done in trust to the Lord. I don't know, maybe sometimes you're like me. I can go to bed or I can wake up like an atheist. The reason is, is I go to bed and I go, has God really got this? Is there really a God in this particular situation? And I wake up in the morning going, man, I don't know. And we live our lives like this. And this psalm is telling us, no, that is not true. Remember how Jesus was in the boat to storm around? And he was trusting in his father's hand. So much so that his spirit was at rest that the waves rocked him to sleep. 
And we need to have that trust in our Father. It's not a lazy, slothful sleep, but it's a trusting, hoping rest. One of my uh, heroes of the faith, his name is John Patton. He was a Scottish missionary uh, to the New Hebrides. Uh, Today it's called the Vanuatu Islands. That's where the cannibals were. And he got to the island shortly after which his his wife died and his baby boy that was born on the island also died, and he was left alone. And he was on that island for four years with the cannibals. And often he would go around and he would speak to them and learn their language, and they often wanted to kill him. He had a little dog, a Scottish terrier, that the natives hated because they, firstly, they don't, have never seen a Scottish terrier before, this black dog. He called it Cluther, was the, the boat that brought him across to the island. And this dog would often warn him. He would sleep in his clothes so that he could get up at a moment's notice and run away, okay, so that they wouldn't kill him. But he would go about and share the gospel with them. In fact, one day he tells of a story of one of the natives walking around with a loaded musket as he went about his work, following him. I mean, I'm grateful nobody walks around my office with a loaded musket. But he turned around to this native, and he would often say this to them, and he stuck his finger, he's a short little Scottish man, he stuck his finger in his face and said, I am immortal until God says otherwise. And he would go about his business, and he trusted the Lord so much that he could do that. So our building and our securing is pointless. It is restless unless the Lord builds. So as I said at the beginning, it looks like these are two different things, but it's not, two different pieces. Well, building a temple, building a city, building a house, well, what do you put in the temple, in the city, in the house? You put people in, you put family in, you put children in those things. So the next point is fruitless. We don't want to be fruitless. Verse 3, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame. They will contend uh, when they contend with their enemies in the gate. In the same way that unless the Lord builds the temple, if He does not build your family, we will labor in vain. We as parents, maybe, uh, wrongly so, we can think of our children as an encumbrance rather than an inheritance or a regret rather than a reward. One old preacher says this, he said, it's not untypical that God's gifts at first, they are responsibilities before they become obvious assets. The greater the promise, the more likely that these children will be a handful before they become a quiverful. And that encourages some of you this morning. Some days it does. But maybe there are some that are inclined to think, oh, I've got the picture-perfect hallmark, hallmark portrait card of a family. These things need to be a warning to us unless the Lord builds and protects and rears our family, it will be in vain. Remember who wrote this? Solomon. He wrote these things down and much of it was lost on himself. In 1 Kings 9, Solomon's building became reckless and a ruin. His marriages were a disastrous defection from what God had intended. Okay, Solomon, the wisest man on the earth, He wrote these words, and yet he himself did not follow them. And that's a massive warning. It's a massive warning to me that as I'm sharing these things with you, I don't want to be like the the son of David, the wisest man on earth, who, although he said what he said, he didn't live what he said. And actually, his life not living like he had written down and what is honoring to the Lord actually shows that what he said is true. 
because of how he lived his life in negation and things happen in his life. So I must, must be very circumspect. Even when I share with you this morning, I mean, if I had to preach to you that everything that, that I got 100% right all the time, I would probably never stand up here. Okay? Uh, Dave may stand up here more often if he got things right than I did. But he would probably say himself that if he had to preach here, only the things he got right would not be up here very often. So we are all trusting the Lord in this. I don't want my life to be fruitless. We go through trials. Job went through a bunch of trials all the way through his life. And right at the end of the book of Job, when the Lord speaks to him, Job then replies and he says, I had heard of you. He, he had learned about the Lord. And he says right at the end, he said, I had heard of you, but now I see you. And I don't want that to be the case for all of us this morning, that you just hear of the Lord and of His goodness and of His grace, but that you see and you taste and you experience that. I don't want to be fruitless in my life. I want to have children that are like these arrows. In the culture in that day, um, you couldn't uh, just pick up the phone if you heard a noise in your backyard, phone the police, and then they came out and, and got whoever it was. All right. When something happened, it was a responsibility of the family. When uh, Abram's uh, nephew Lot was taken from Sodom and Gomorrah by four kings, he was captured by four kings. Abraham in Genesis 14, 14, it says here, said, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went to pursue them as far as Dan. Okay? You see this last verse here in the Psalms, it says there that they will not be put to shame when they, are con- when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Our families, we contend with enemies at our gate every day. Now, I don't mean somebody bashing down your front door, but what I mean is, is that people are competing for our souls, for our families. And not only that is the temptations in our own hearts and in our families' own hearts that want to follow after worldly things. We are fighting this war and we must train children to be like arrows, ready. But as we do that, we need to trust in the Lord. So you're going to hear this for the next couple of more minutes, uh, 40 minutes or so in total. I've been hearing this the whole week, okay, day in and day out, looking at this psalm and seeing that the responsibilities are mine to pass down the knowledge of God and to share Christ with the next generation. Uh, firstly, that responsibility is in the family that you have. And most especially, that responsibility is you parents, and in particular, it's you dads. You dads. It's your responsibility. There are children here, or teenagers here this morning, and uh, I don't want you to miss out either and just think, oh, well, this is for your parents. Parents, I don't want you to forgive, uh, to give up, on these things, dads especially. Um, But I want to share with you again what Charles Spurgeon says. He says of this, he says, A man of war is glad of weapons which may fly where he cannot. Children are their father's arrows, speeding to hit the mark which their father aims at. What wonders a good man can accomplish if he has affectionate children to second his desires and lend themselves to his designs. To this end, we must have our children in hand while they are yet children, or they will never likely be those when grown up. We must point them 
and straighten them so as to make arrows of them in their youth, lest they should prove crooked and unserviceable when they are older. Let the Lord favor us. There his trust is in the Lord. Let the Lord favor us with loyal, affectionate offspring, and we shall find them our best helpers. We shall see them shot forth into life, into to our comfort and delight, if we take care from the very beginning that they are directed to the right point, they are directed to Christ. And so young people hearing me today, don't check out and say, well, this is my dad and mom's responsibility. You also have a responsibility to hear what your parents are teaching you. For those parents here maybe today who you look at your children and they have strayed from your teachings. Maybe you say, well, I was not saved when I had young children. Or I was very weak and shallow in my faith. It's not too late. It's not too late. There are a lot of people here who are grandchildren, have grandchildren. There is a challenge here. It talks about our children's children. Also don't give up. Also trust in the Lord in those areas. So Psalm 127 has shown us that we need to depend on the gracious hand of the Lord in these things. And Psalm 128 will continue to address these things. It will address our work. It will address our marriage, our parenting, our relationship. But it's going to show us the how. How do we trust in the Lord in these things? So we don't want to be pointless or restless or fruitless. But we do want to be, and the last point is fearful. Let me read for you in Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So it says there, blessed. That's in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 4, and in verse 5. God's disposition to mankind has firstly been to bless, right? From the very word, the word go. And when Adam took his first breath in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and he blessed them, okay, and said, be fruitful and multiply. Um, throughout the life of Abram, throughout the life of David, many Psalms show the blessing of the Lord. All the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, there are numerous blessings, but how does this blessing come to us? It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord. That very statement, to fear the Lord, it's against what the world says. It's against what Satan says. It's against even what our fleshly desires are. You know, the world and our desire says, if you want to be happy, follow your heart. That's Disney theology. Follow your heart. Okay? That's not what the Bible says. Even in the... Garden of Eden, that was Satan's scheme. You want to be like God? You know? You want everything that you want? Your desires? That fruit hanging on that forbidden tree? No, don't worry. Don't walk in his ways. Don't obey God. And Satan will always take holiness, the fear of the Lord, and he will separate it and say, well, happiness is not fearing the Lord. Happiness is doing what you want to do. The things that will bring you joy. Trust in yourself. And you will be happy. And he separates what actual true blessedness and happiness is. is fearing the Lord. In the year that I was born in 1977, the musician Billy Joel, I'm sure many of you would know the name. Billy Joel, some of you are nodding sheepishly. 
Maybe you own some of Billy Joel's records, but he wrote a song called Only the Good Die Young. And in this particular song, one stanza says this, I would rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. That's what he wrote. And Psalm 128 says to Billy Joel, and says to Satan, you're wrong. But true joy, true happiness, true blessing is found in the fear of the Lord. This is the how we trust the Lord to build and secure and bless our family. The how is to be fearful. The Bible isn't necessarily concerned with people knowing about God. Okay, and believing that there is a God. Much of the world thinks there is a deity of some form. The Bible is concerned about people reverently fearing God with awe. That is what the Bible is wanting to show. Now I must be clear here that God does not bless you because you are good. That is a works-based moralism. God blesses faith. That's what he blesses, faith. And a key expression of faith is fearing the Lord, fearing God. Some people may say, are you sure the Bible says to fear the Lord? Doesn't the Bible also say perfect love casts out all fear? Well, that's a wrong type of fear. And I'll illustrate by what um, I'm talking about here. You see, A believer's fear of the Lord is grounded in the knowledge that he is holy, that he is just, that he is righteous. That's what we're studying in Sunday school. But a believer also knows that you're his child, as Dan prayed, adopted into his family. And we have God's grace on us that he has lavished to us in Christ. Okay, So the more a believer fears the Lord because he is holy, the more the believer will revel in the love that God has for them in Christ Jesus. That's what it is. One example is is the uh, Israelites. They went and made that golden calf, worshipped it. God came down and said to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses pled on their behalf and said, please don't. Don't do that. And Moses then was going to go up the mountain to be with God. The Israelites were shaking in their boots at the bottom of the mountain. The mountain was thundering and the Israelites were shaking there. They were saying, uh-uh, you go up there. We're going to stand afar off. We are going to be, we are afraid. And they were right to be afraid because they weren't trusting in God. Moses knew that same God, that same holiness. He had that same fear. And what did it drive him to do? He went to God. And the reason he went to God, as we read in Exodus 34, 6, it says, he says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, a God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. What they looked at God, this holy God, they didn't trust Him. They ran away. They feared the Lord that way. Moses looked at this holy God, knew He was loving and gracious and kind, and he ran to his God. That's the fear that believers have because he loves us and has adopted us. We fear the Lord like that. I'll read a few verses for you. The fear of the Lord is friendship with God. It says in Psalm 25, 14, The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. Proverbs 9, 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. That Holy God is understanding. Proverbs 14, 27 summarizes it well. It says, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. 
We see this illustrated in Abraham's life. He was told to take Isaac, his son, and go sacrifice him. And he obeyed the Lord. And he got there. And right as he's about to plunge the knife into his son, the Lord says this in Genesis 22.12, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. That's what he said. You see, Abraham's obedience to God, even when he was in the prospect of sacrificing his son, his obedience was the byproduct of his faith in God because he feared God. Let me say that again. Abraham's obedience to God was a byproduct of his faith in God because he feared God. Psalm 103.17 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children. Again, a generational responsibility. One last one, and this is from the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Mary prays in Luke 1.50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. So we have in verse 1 there, all who fear the Lord. All who fear the Lord. Okay, not some. All who fear the Lord will receive blessings from the Lord. Now we may not get what we think blessings are. House in Beverly Hills with too many rooms you can't even find them. Or anything like that. That's not what it's talking about here. We taste the blessing. Let me explain it this way. Some people say, well, even the evildoers are blessed. You know, look at that guy's house, and I know he doesn't serve the Lord. And look at all the things that he does. One preacher said that there is some blessing for all people, but there is all blessing for some. And what he is saying there is, is that there is some blessing, food to eat, the rain that falls on the wicked and the righteous, ability to earn money, to provide for your family. That is some blessing for all people. But boy, is there all blessing in Christ that is just for some, those who trust in and fear the Lord. Now this fearing the Lord is not just an understanding, a creed or a catechism or a set of evangelical beliefs or a statement of faith on a website. Those are good things. But the fear of the Lord expresses itself in a way of life, in a lifestyle. He says there, and walks in His ways. The world says, follow your own way. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us the result of that. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But in that very verse, God gives us the only remedy for that disaster. Verse continues, but the Lord, God, has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. The only way to turn from our own ways and to follow the Lord's way is in having a fear-filled faith that we can receive the blessings of the Lord and walk in His ways. And how do we walk in His ways? There's various aspects here. There is verse 2, in our work, in our vocation. Verse 2, you will eat the fruit of your labor, blessing and prosperity will be yours. This is meaningful work. This is not work done in vain, as I said, to get your house in Beverly Hills. This is meaningful work that provides for your needs. I thank the Lord every time that I walk across the parking lot to my office over here that I get to do this. I love to be here and to share God's Word and to minister in song, whatever it is. I love that. I, and I get paid to do it. It's fantastic. And I walk across 
here to do what I believe and I trust is meaningful work. For a man to provide for your family is meaningful work. Okay? But it's more meaningful to share Christ with them. For you ladies here, it's meaningful to serve your family, to serve your husband, to serve your children. That is meaningful work. The psalmist continues and talks about marriage here. Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Now here is a picture of childbearing. It's those arrows in the previous psalm. And it also talks about olive shoots being around your table. But there's more than just procreation mentioned over here. It actually, this your wife being a fruitful vine, it conveys an attractiveness that she is to her husband and a delight that he has in her. So again, this is reflecting the Garden of Eden. You know, the first thing that was not good in all creation, the first not good in the Bible was, it's not good that man would be alone. I mean, think about that just for a second. Adam had God, and God came to him and said, that's not good that you should be alone. Husbands, you can look at your wife if you want to. You realize that she is an immense blessing. From the Lord and wives to your husband too. He is an immense blessing. Now, those of you here I know are not married, and maybe the Lord has something else for you, but if there is marriage on your horizon somewhere along the line, look for a spouse that fears the Lord. If you are a couple that fears the Lord, you can handle and go through anything because your trust is in Him. If there's a disconnect somewhere there, things are going to possibly, could very well go horribly wrong because you do not fear the Lord. Thirdly, parenting. Verse 3, your sons, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And then verse 6, it says, and may you see your children's children. Again, the location of this blessing is the fear of the Lord. Okay, And it works in how we parent our children. Um, Both of these psalms here are talking about parenting. So I'm just going to take a few minutes as we close to mention that. Parents, I know you can't give your children salvation. You can't save them. Children, you guys can't buy it. It is a gift from the Lord. So what must we as parents do so that our children may receive this greatest blessing, that being their salvation? Well, it's clear in this passage, and it's clear in many other passages, we need it to be linked to faith. Ephesians 2.8, well-known verse for it is, By grace you have been saved through faith. Now this psalm shows us a specific expression of that faith where a parent's effectiveness is. And you wouldn't think of it like this, but the psalm says that the core expression of our faith okay, is in the fear of the Lord. Now, I must pause here quickly and just say that you can do X, Y, and Z, but God is the one who saves. And just as much as a child who is born to unbelieving parents can come to faith, so too can a child who is born to parents who do believe and who do fear the Lord can slip away from the Lord. Okay, But I must say that I believe that the majority of children that grow up in a home where mom and dad fear the Lord and lovingly put their faith in Him and trust Him to build their families, that that would not be the case. Because God does delight to bless and He also blesses principles. 
And these are the principles that He has given for us. Finally, as we close, the psalm concludes here with a benediction. This is what the priests would pronounce over the people. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And this benediction brings forth a fourth area. And it's the church. It's your relationships here. Now for that people, their nation, their Zion, their Jerusalem, their Israel, their fellow believers believing in their same God, all right, is a picture for us, our people, the Zion, the Jerusalem, us fellow believers in our same God. It is the church and he addresses them. And we need the blessing that comes with being a part of a church. I am grateful to be a part of this church. My family needs you. I need you. And you need us. Okay? And God blesses us through that. We need a body of fear-filled and faith-filled believers. Because all of these areas of life, our work, our family, our relationships, even in church, will come with griefs. And we need to trust the Lord. That unless He builds, unless He protects and we fear in Him and walk in His ways that He will work among us. Paul says at the end of his life, he says, it's going to be a fight. I have fought the fight. Olympics, I have run the race. And this was a fight of faith, and it was a fight by faith that Paul did. Let's pray together. O great God, um, God of highest heaven, our loving Father, um, I pray this morning, please grant saving faith this morning to those who desperately need Christ to be their Savior. Um, Please grant to us, your children, a daily faith and a holy fear that trusts you as we walk in your ways with obedience, as we trust you in our work, our marriages, our family, and even here at church. And I pray that you would Help our hearts to truly sing that we will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but we will boast in Jesus Christ, in His death, in His resurrection. Lord, may we run, may we fight with fear-filled faith, trusting the Lord to build and to watch. Lord, help us in humility to receive Your Word implanted, which is able to save our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.